Welcome to our journey. Our journey toward a more perfect union. Our more perfect union is an experiment, a grand experiment in something we all cherish, democracy. Welcome to our Radio Roundtable with higher education consultant, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalie Alinos, and from Beacon Hill, Representative Jeff Roy, as we the people celebrate the journey of America toward a more perfect union. Welcome to More Perfect Union. I'm Nick Remesong. Uh, and along with my co-host, Chris Wolf, uh, we have today joining us from our roundtable of radio regulars, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, Harvard's Executive Director for Health and Human Rights, Dr. Natalia Linos, uh, and our station manager, Peter J. And okay. we have we have as a very special guest. Frank Falvey. Frank, you're back. Yay. You're back. back. Frank is back. I'm back. (laughs) Excellent. Yes, I I love it when Frank gets back with us from time to time. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's Uh, a great touch. Frank was the august founder of this program, Mm -hmm. and uh, we've carried it on in his tradition. So thank you, Frank, and good to have you back. Glad to be here. And so today, it's an interesting one, Nick, because you and I were talking about it just before showtime. Mm -hmm. What do we got on the shelf? Well, we've got uh, a couple of questions about, uh, let's see, ethics in politics and in life. I would assume that's that's... going to spill over. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do we do do they exist? I I think an appropriately uncomfortable silence is appropriate here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we've got a little discussion about that. We'll be taking a test that's not really a test to try and test just what is a test and what are ethics. We'll be testing in not testing a lot of things today uh, and just kind of seeing where the discussion leads us. But there are a lot of questions uh, about the seating of the newest representative from uh, a district in New York and the House of Representatives, George Santos. Mr. Santos has been mm, exposed, seems too light a word, Mm. But it's been, uh, you know, discovered that there were a great deal of what initially were being called slight alterations, but now are being faced as outright falsehoods on his resume and what he told people he had done, where he had come from, his background, everything, including it, it, it ranged from everywhere. His his uh, nationality, his birth, his ethnic background to uh, whether or not he's an accomplished volleyballist. <laughs> uh, so we're going to well, touch know, on those. He wanted to become a representative in Washington in the worst way. And that's, exa- and that's exactly how he did it. Mm-hmm. He accomplished that fact. He did accomplish that task. And he got there. It's someone who at this point is coming to light as a, as a somewhat glib pathological liar. Mm. Um, and it's, it's really most unfortunate. And you know, we've, we've seen the results of such behavior, obviously, in the past. And I'm... It leaves me wondering exactly what the House Ethics Committee does. Yeah, do do they have? I know function? they. I know they have one. They have just, one, yes. But do they do anything other than show up uh, for the monthly board of meet a board of directors meeting uh, and collect their twenty five thousand or whatever? Well, who knows? I, 
it just it it strikes me that if we have a house ethics committee, uh, they're really prepared to police their own while they're mm-hmm. busy policing every other aspect of government. Mm-hmm. And the leadership as well, once again, is proving that they don't want to touch the hot stove. No, definitely not. Um, I mean, there's been just really no response, even with a lot of the news coming out lately that he basically embezzled funds from his mm-hmm. campaign uh, uh, chest. So well, would he, you like me to jump in with the contrary opinion? You can jump in with whatever opinion you've got, Frank. We'd be glad to hear from you and appreciate it. That's what it. it's about. And Dr. Well, Michael for, Walker-Jones, please, when you're ready to. First of all, when someone is elected to whatever position they're elected to, the people have elected them. And I don't believe that there's any law or any mechanism to remove them from office and that they should stay in office unless there is a criminal charge and they are found guilty by their peers of some violation. What is a failure here is the failure of the Speaker of the House of Representatives to, at this point, censure him, to bring a censure. Mm -hmm. against him. That was done in the last Congress about a guy that drew a cartoon of shooting another representative, uh, I believe, out of uh, New York. So, So to begin with, I believe that in Massachusetts, and I was affected by this law, even elected officials have to take an ethics test. Yes. I believe that is contrary to any election law, no official should ever have to comply with either an ethics test or some other to wear green on St. Patrick's Day. And if they don't take it, they're fined $100 a day. I and Franklin was on the cable committee for years. Mm -hmm. The town clerk informed me that I had to take an ethics test to remain and be renominated to be on the cable committee. I refused. She said, you either have to take it or you can't be on the committee. Or if you accept being on the committee, I will report you and you will be fined $100 a day. So when you start talking about ethics, first of all, I do not believe any elected official should ever be required to do certain things or be fined. And I'll leave it there with you. Yeah, the ethics test in Massachusetts, last I knew, was simply a test that asked you questions. And you could not fail the test because if you gave the wrong answer, they would prompt the correct answer. So it was nothing about your own personal ethics. It was about what the test expected you to choose as the correct answer. And if you didn't, it was informing you what the correct answer was. So you could never fail the test. Mm -hmm. And it was never about your own personal ethics, at least when I encountered it. Correct. But did you ever feel that you didn't agree with the correct answer that came up? I never took the test. Ah, you never took it. So you... So I I had to decline the offer to be on the cable committee Uh or... I had to pay a hundred dollar fine a day. Right, hundred dollar a day. Yeah, sure, I understand. Now, I can, I can somewhat understand the state doing that, except for elected officials. In other words, private industry can give you tests like that if they care to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I disagree with the state requiring someone to being on the cable committee, 
okay, to do something like that. But anyone on a town committee, a state commission, anyone uh, associated with, with the government in that sense has to take this test. And again, I, I believe it's wrong. I believe the $100 fine is wrong. But today, when I took the test, I was the only person ever, according to the town clerk, to refuse to take it. I think that points up a lack to me of self-evaluation of really what you should do in life ethically and where you should draw a line. But isn't, uh, I mean, like I would have um, just working on my common sense assumptions, which is obviously a terrible basis for anything, but wouldn't the um, any kind of ethics test pr primarily focus on potential conflicts of interest so you'd have to disclose your financial interests and that kind of thing i would only, have thought that would only be only when you're becoming a judge uh, I, well a quick google search shows that like you know town officials across the state or have to do a conflict of interest disclosures um in many mm -hmm. positions so fine um yeah that, i i, that, I, that, I, I don't know if that's a part would would have that would that have been something you would have objected to as long as there was no fine if i if i didn't disclose that but if it was a requirement of the job, in other words, if you're applying for a job and the requirement of the job is that you just have to disclose, you know, conflicts of interest or all the stuff you have to fill out to be a judge. No, I have no objection to that. It was just the way it was. But set I, up so that, I, that, I do. That I do. I do have an objection to that. If you're an elected official, the people have elected you. That should be the only criteria whether you take office or not. Even if you were elected under false pretenses, uh, because the, the party that supported you, the people that went out to vote you, very, it was was very easy for someone simply to check his college, and if he ever, if he ever graduated from that college. Where is the responsibility of the party that backed you? And where is the responsibility as you, as a person, to go and vote for an individual to find out at least something well, about that individual and, and who that individual yes, is? Yes, I think. What, what, who, where's the responsibility of the individual who's running for office to be honest to the, the electorate? Where's the responsibility for that? In other words, is it just a free for all? Is, if I can, is. if I can gauge what might get me elected, if I'm running in a district that is uh, primarily of a Jewish ethnic background, if I'm running in a district that uh, has a high number of college graduates, if I'm running in a district that might be have a, a strong support for LGBTQ, do I then model my life in a in a false way in order to get elected to that position where's the responsibility for me to say i know little about this this is my true background but i would like to represent you i i'm, I'm having a hard time understanding why the responsibility all lies with the electorate and the party and there is nothing incumbent upon the person running for office to disclose honestly who they are and what their what their policies are if you're of a, if you're of a lower moral character and you want something so bad, right? Mm -hmm. Then your character is is going to do everything it can to mislead you as a as the public. And how many politicians, and to some degree, do that? I mean, and should we, they never have to pay we, for that? We, we we have a a state senator 
who is Jewish and who acknowledges and promotes in certain places the fact that she is Jewish. Nothing wrong with that. That's part of the political process of disclosing mm -hmm. who you are. But if you disclose falsely who you are, in other words... It happens we, all the time. Right. They, and then they, to a degree, disclose Are you not falsely. held responsible for that? Are no. you not liable no, to be held responsible? Not in the political no. arena. Not no. in the political arena. Okay. All, everything's all, all holds are barred. All bar, all yeah, holds are I off. Think, I think that's fair from what Frank is saying that the electors, electors, the voters can hold that person accountable at the next election if they judge uh, them to have been improper in, in any way. But I think more important issue is the ethics compliance. And I think that's what we're seeing uh, weakened with the new rules in uh, the house. Uh, and, um, just a quick aside on um, Mr. Santos. Um, he does face criminal proceedings, not here, but in Brazil. Uh, since he dis absconded uh, from Brazil, um, he has the Brazilians and have now discovered, obviously, where he is from the media attention, have reopened a criminal fraud case of a major embezzlement from 2011 that was put in limbo because he had absconded. So um, we'll be interesting to see uh, how that proceeds now that that case has been reopened. There's, there's also the notion with respect to commingling of funds uh, because his annual income doesn't line up with the kind of money that he supposedly loaned his campaign. Yeah. So the numbers aren't adding up and that may constitute a criminal threshold when they right. really take a look yeah. at all the hard of a million, Yeah, three quarters yeah. of a million dollars that he never had access to. There was right. nothing he could have gathered over the years but you know yeah, and, and i'm of the and i'm of the opinion that every every elected official owes the people uh some transparency and clarity when he and she are, are in office um and as a matter of fact the uh, as we were talking earlier about the ethics um it's basically uh, a checkup every year that not only uh, highly elected uh, that elected officials have to do, but also uh, those who are appointees. Uh, and there's mm -hmm. simple questions that that you get asked. For example, do you have another job where you're uh, getting money that may be coming from one of your constituents that basically disguises itself as a job, but it's really more money for your campaign? Do you hire your relatives? Uh, have you had a relative who's been uh, basically appointed because you uh, exercised some influence over them? I don't think those things are out of the questions. And a lot of states have laws around that to where the politician has to have these checkups every year uh, and the appointees every year. I have to do one, as a matter of fact, even as a consultant in most of the states where I work. Uh, but the uh, the idea that one that we're a republic, I do agree with Frank that we are a republic. We're not a democracy in that sense. Uh, and as a republic, the only thing that the electric has is the ability to elect an official, and then once that official is in office, they get to do the setting of the laws. And in some instances, contrary to what I may want. Uh, but let's take a look at that entire package. Uh, there are some things inside of that package. There are some things inside of that package uh, of rules that I actually completely agree with. For example, one, the Republicans want to have bills 
at minimum 72 hours in advance before they either debate or they vote on the floor. I agree with that. I don't think that some of the things that the Democrats or and Republicans have done with regard to just throwing out a bill hours before it's going to be vote on is in the best interest of not only the legislative members, but also of the people. Second, transparency with regard to the ability of a representative to debate a bill prior to its, uh, 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 prior to voting on it. When was the last time any of us saw an actual debate on the floor of the House or the Senate over a specific bill? And most of the leadership in both of these chambers really don't want that. They want the thing to hit the floor, everybody vote, uh, no debate, uh, which I think, again, is not in the best interest of the American people. Now, they do debate in their committees, which I think is important. But at the end of the day, every legislative member, even if you're not on that, in particular, if you're not on that committee, ought to have an opportunity to debate and amend bills. Uh, the balanced budget uh, piece that they're going to do, now that's not part of the rules, uh, but it's one of the things that uh, uh, that I know this particular, the 118th Congress, uh, the House of Representatives wants to do. I am not in agreement with that. The only entity, as a matter of fact, in this country that's guaranteed to write, to be able to go in debt, if you will, as uh, as a political entity or as a governmental institution, is uh, the United States Congress. Mm -hmm. uh, they have the ability to go into debt, and rightly so. If we're hitting a crisis and we need money, we got to be able to borrow that money. We do. Now, is it over-exercised? Yes. I think it is over-exercise, but that's up to those legislative members uh, and the electorate to hold them accountable for that. That's not something I think that we need uh, a constitutional amendment over. Term limits, for example, that's another one that I don't agree with. The it, And here I think we may agree, Frank, because the idea that if you are elected, then the the best way for you to be held accountable is for the electorate to realize its responsibility that if you're not doing what we want, then the majority of us get you out of there. There shouldn't be any kind of limits on your term that then sets up some kind of rotating process. So, uh, you know, I I don't agree with everything. And then there are some real harsh ones that the Republicans are going to do, setting up some new committees that make no sense. Uh, but there are some things in that package that I can't agree with. Yeah, That's Michael, you and I agree on many, many issues there. The other issue you haven't mentioned is an open amendment process on the floor of the House of Representatives where amendments can be offered from the floor. The other thing that I am excited about. I would agree, about, Frank. I would agree. Yeah, the other thing that I'm excited about is now we're moving toward a weaker speakership. And as Michael pointed out, a strong speakership, only four or five people draft this legislation and the rank and file, of no matter what party you're with, have to vote for it. It's it's a, a given command on certain pieces of legislation that you vote for. Now we have an opportunity as this Congress moves along that maybe, maybe a certain segment of Republicans in a certain segment of Democrats can realize that they can control the legislation and bring some sensible legislation to the floor. 
The thing, Michael, you might not disagree with me, I'm very excited by the fact that the raising of the debt ceiling, which won't happen, I think, until August, I mean, it's really been put off, is going to be linked to cutting expenditures. We are so far in debt that China rose, it's ridiculous. We have to seriously lower the debt. The interest rate now that it's going up is costing us so much money that it, it, it may reach a point, okay, that we absolutely can't function as a country. We're a debt a nation. China is a credit nation. Before... Frank, that's a, a fantastic point, but the um, primary primary cause of uh, like any household budget is the money coming in and money going out. Uh, expenses is one thing, but the massive tax cuts introduced by the previous administration um, have to be taken into account here, of course. I mean, like you can't just say it's expenditures that's causing uh, adding to the debt. Obviously, um, the lack correct. of income is going to hurt any budget. Yeah, I agree. And 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 here's one again, I think, where we disagree, Frank. And you're right. There are some that we agree on, some that we disagree. But the one on the budget, uh, on the debt ceiling, uh, you, you know, it, look, it's like uh, any other household, uh, even though I don't think there's any equivalency. Uh, and I'm not going to fall into the Republican trap to say that the government is run like your household. It is not. I can't go to my boss and say, oh, by the way, tomorrow you're going to pay me more because my expenses went up. The government can do that. The government can say, OK, taxpayers, we're going to pay more because there's more either that we're legislating uh, or more in terms of services that you want. There's no equivalency there. And I'm really getting to the point, especially in my old age, where I'm frustrated with that argument. OK, the government is not number one, it's not a business. And number two, it's not a household. The government is there in order to do certain things, protect my freedom, you know, establish the military to make sure that I, as a private citizen, get protected, that businesses have a uh, have a good environment, a ripe environment in order to operate. And everyone pays our fair share to that entity, the government, because we're all we're all benefiting from it. So in that respect, I think the Congress, uh, and in particular the House, has to be responsible for the uh, uh, for the bills that they pass. And actually, I'm not against having some kind of an equil uh, equivalency. If you're going to uh, want a bill, whether it's an entitlement, then find a way for us to try to pay for it. I don't mind that. But it doesn't have to happen all of the time. Now, let's be clear. In this administration, all of the bills, and here is again where the Republicans are not necessarily telling the entire truth. I don't think that there's been a bill in the last two years under the Biden administration that's been passed that has not had with it an increase in terms of the revenue to pay for that bill, including the infrastructure bill. And who's voted against it every single time? It's been the opposition. It's been the conservatives. On the infrastructure bill, when they wanted to increase the uh, percentage of required income from, uh, 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 from corporations, who voted against it? And, you know, I think that what happens is we've got to get to an era of truth and what I would call reasonableness but transparency as well. And then it's 
and, and then I also think it's a, important for us in the media to know our facts before we start spouting off our personal philosophies around what we may feel, but also understand too how this little this little gig uh, in terms of being in Congress and and writing legislation is supposed to work. Uh, I agree with you, Frank, that actually there are broad parameters upon which many of these legislative members can uh, can operate. But I think it's incumbent upon us as citizens and upon the institution, that's the laws and the regulations, to help us in that endeavor. And I think that that's what some of these things are trying to do. But right now, I don't see any kind of real platform where there's some um, uh, what I would call honesty and real forthrightness in terms of what some of the Republicans are trying to do uh, in change some of these rules. One of the things I'd like to do is I'd, I'd like to rewind a little bit with respect to the situation with George Santos. I'm going to go with Frank's notion that the people elected him and therefore he is in office and it resides with him to decide whether or not he wants to stay in office. So we'll stick with that for the moment. And now we look to the future, 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 future. And what does the future look like for someone who came to Congress under less than transparent circumstances, who has now been exposed as, some people would say, a pathological liar, any other member of Congress who then needs to either garner his vote, work with him, uh, sit with him on committee, whatever. The question then becomes, how effective will he be, given that he is the hot stove that you know people may avoid talking about and also not really want to touch or be associated with in some way? So I, I think that by degree and extent, there will come a situation where he may be deemed feckless. In other words, he won't be able to do very much while he's in office. And it's a two-year term. And so now in less than two years, the people are going to vote again and he's going to have an opponent. And you have to believe that his opponent already has a really fat folder of things that they can say in terms of running against him. And do we really want more of a pathological liar in office who hasn't served us well? Um, and therefore, uh, we may see him as a one-hit wonder, and he was in office, and then he's back out of office again. So in that sense, and I think to Frank's point, the free market is probably going to prevail here, the free market of thought, and that now that voters know who he really is, they're going to go back to the ballot box, and they're going to declare. So uh, this is perhaps the longer, more patient view of what democracy does in terms of trying to right itself. Um, and that gets me to an interesting point. In past episodes, uh, I have put forth the idea, if someone wants to be the president of the United States, we've seen cases where businessmen who are well-moneyed uh, and well-connected have stepped up and said, yeah, I want to do that. You know, Mark Cuban has toyed with the idea. There are others uh, who have toyed with the idea, Bloomberg, etc. I believe whether they are honorable, not honorable is not the point. My point is that if you want to be the president of the United States, you have to prove yourself. That is, you got to be in Congress for a minimum of one term, whether you're a congressman or a senator, or you've got to be a governor for at least one term. You got to serve one full term at a state or Washington, D.C. level office before you are eligible to run for the presidency of the United States. And what that does, it allows the public to get to know you. 
beyond your initial claims. Consider that if Trump had had to have a New York office of some type, governorship, or find his way to the representatives, or find his way to the Senate, uh, we might know an awful lot more about the man before we cast ballots for president. Well, let me jump in and say I'm I, I'm I'm woefully and uh, constitutionally against that because now you're actually you're not just talking about a guy like Trump. You're talking about a guy like Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter never held any high political office. He was a he governor. Was his, oh, he was governor of Georgia. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, he was governor of Georgia. But the uh, so let me just jump to my main point. My main mm -hmm. point is that to have that kind of uh, that kind of requirement, I think, goes against the idea that these are supposed to be citizen bodies. These are not bodies for elected officials. And if the framers and I do believe that they talked about that as part of their debate. And here's my point. I, as an American citizen, all I have to be is 35 years old and either a naturalized citizen or uh, having been born here uh, to be president. And that's uh, the way it should be. Actually, you can't be a naturalized citizen. You have to be born here. Uh, Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger is not available to be president. Right. And neither am I, unfortunately. Yeah. Oh, well. We, we've lamented that point before. <laughs> yes. I know. Yeah. But I, I was, am. I am. I, I was born I was in the U.S., raised overseas. I mean, there's the irony there, right? I was born yes. in the, like President Obama, right? Born in the U.S., but raised overseas. And right. then you are eligible. And, um, I thought he was raised in Hawaii, but I guess that that's is overseas. overseas. It's overseas. No, <laughs> you got to go through a lot of the sea. I thought he lived in Indonesia for a number of years. Uh, I, uh, don't, I think family in Indonesia. So. Yeah. yeah, I don't yeah, think I, he lived there. I think his father lived in Africa, uh, mm -hmm. but I think uh, he lived in Hawaii. I don't think he lived no. outside of Correct. Uh, but I again, that's... I have book that claims that he lived in Indonesia with his mom for many oh. years. I should look that up because I yeah. don't know if it's based on his biography or a, a, a fake children's book. Uh, you may be correct. I, you know, and again, here's where we have a responsibility as the media, I think in real serious things, like if we're going to make some accusations against Santos and stuff to make sure we have our facts. Yeah. But at the same time, it's important for us to, again, look at the Constitution. The Constitution allows any any citizen, any citizen to run for the office of president. And uh, uh, I think the point is well taken, uh, Natalia, that, you know, even if you were born here, but let's say you were raised someplace else, you still can be president of the United States. Because no, you, you, were... you can't. Uh, unless you go to a Harvard or a Ivy League college and you, have, <laughs> and you have millions and millions of dollars from a nuts and points point of view, you cannot be president. Well, well, but now you're getting into... Uh, yeah. My, my feeling has always been practical, not legal objections. Yes. Yeah. My, my feeling has always been that, that like Michael said, I, I, government is not a business. You can't run it like a business. You can't have a profit and loss sheet and say, this is how we're going to run this business. It is an art form. It really is. I mean, overall, it's it might be a very messy and a very unusual art form. But to me, it's an art form. And I think the best ones in it are those who wish to participate in that art, who wish to serve that art, who will live for that art, who are not looking for a cushy retirement after serving a, a term. Or I, I mean, they only need to serve one term in the House of Representatives to qualify for a lifetime pension. Uh, but people who serve 
who have a desire to serve and enjoy. I mean, I keep going back to Lyndon Johnson. Johnson, you could tell every day that he was in politics, he was just enjoying himself immensely. He loved speaking to people. Did he tell the truth all the time? I'll give you that, Frank. No, no. <laughs> the man was a crafty. He was a, he was a, he was a, a master of crafting his language. He was a master mm -hmm. language. He came across sounding like a rube, but that was part of his persona. I'll give you that. But he enjoyed what he did immensely. And the only reason he he was just too tired and too sick at the end to continue. Mm -hmm. But it was it was a joy to him to do this. And I don't think we've got that anymore. It's all a business now. And oh. government is not business. I want I wanted to jump into the point that you were raising, Pete, in terms of, you know, whether businessmen can pour in their own money to self-fund a campaign. I mean, I think that the what, you know, George Santos is going to get caught over and the complaint is finance law, that he uh -huh. broke the law, that he had, you know, some shady and, you know, more and more is coming out around, you know, a super PAC that supported him that wasn't actually registered. Like, where did the money come from? And in fact, if he was a um, self-made millionaire that poured in his own money and there was no question of where the money came from, then his lies, you know, then, then I don't think there would be something. So I kind of feel for him in the sense that I don't think anybody should be able to buy a seat. Right. And this is what he really did. He lied. He lied to everyone in order to defraud people, not only the voters, but also the people who gave money to his campaign. And so he used lies not only to win votes, but also to win money. And possibly he did more, meaning, you know, I think the financial kind of we'll learn more day by day. And having run a campaign, uh, you know, run, you know, when I ran for Congress, I hated the fundraising part. And I really do think that separating out the financial incentive about who can run for office, basically, you have to either be very, very wealthy yourself to self-fund, you know, Bloomberg, you have to be in a network of very wealthy individuals who are willing to drop, you know, $3,000 for you. Uh, with a phone call. Um, and so already it's the finance system, I think, that is uh, excluding so many people that, you know, Michael, you and I would love to see run to really go back to what you're saying around, you know, people who are there to serve, not there to to run a business or make a name of themselves. And so fundamentally our system, and I hope that some of this critique of um, George Santos will raise some of these questions of, you know, why, why did he lie he lied because he had to raise money because he might you know anyways i think i think he's an extreme you know but someone like him maybe hasn't finished college but he's clearly talented he must be a good um spokesperson you know maybe he would have been able in a different you know he represents um i don't know anyways i just i just feel that it's the finances that is at the heart here and your question about forcing you know very wealthy people to have run you know for or have served as governor or congress doesn't take out that question of, you know, how do we get around the fact that our politics are really driven by who has money and not who has the drive or the empathy to really serve? There's no question. Yeah, I, I, I would uh, I would concur and also apologize, too, because, uh, again, in my head, when I was thinking about the requirements for running for president, I, I said naturalized. But it's natural born citizen, not naturalized. Mm -hmm. And there is this other piece, too. And I know we were we were sort of kidding around with it. But yes, if you were born here and then live someplace else, you have to come back to this country and you have to live here 
for 14 years before you can run for president. So those mm -hmm. are the two requirements other than the age requirement, which is you have to be 35 years or older on the day when you are uh, uh, when you are sworn in. In other words, Correct. you can run at 34, but by the time you're sworn in, you have to be 35 years old. And and there's this part about being honest with your constituents that, again, like you, Natalia, I, I am just appalled. And here's where Santos is going to run into trouble because just about every, uh, no, at the federal level, there are campaign finance laws that says you cannot defraud your donors. Now, interestingly enough, you can defraud the electorate, but you cannot defraud uh, your campaign finance. And that's where Santos is going to get uh, into some big trouble. Uh, mm -hmm. He may have lied about uh, you know his background, which you can do, apparently, and get elected uh, with very little consequences. But the campaign finance piece is going to piece that uh, probably brings him down. But if I could, let me shift for a moment uh, to recognize that this program is probably going to be aired next week, which is going to be the week of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, because there is a parallel here. The idea that one of the things, too, that this uh, that the 118th Congress, the House of Representatives is going to implement is going to be this uh, subcommittee. I don't know whether it's going to be a select committee or not of the justice of the Judiciary Committee to take a look at the weaponization of the federal government. And, you know, interestingly enough. And I don't know if you folks have recognized that there have been references back to the church committee, uh, which was back in the 70s. Uh, and one of the things that the church committee looked at was the weaponization of the FBI in particular toward mm. citizens who were uh, scrutinized mm -hmm. under J. Edgar Hoover simply because they were trying to bring some exercise of personal and racial and economic freedom into light, uh, and in particular, Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah, they right. made it on the FBI's naughty list. Yeah. And, and, and in that particular instance, well-documented, and mm. that's not the only situation, the one with mm -hmm. Dr. King, but there were many instances, myself included, where the FBI uh, wiretapped and uh, listened and uh, also intimidated private citizens. And I say why, because I was on one of those wiretap lists when the FOIA request came through in the late 70s, early 80s. And my wife and I discovered that our house was wiretapped by the FBI under that same uh, guise that we were part of a civil rights organization in Rochester, New York, uh. which had been established under the principles of Saul Alinsky. And therefore, we were a threat to the country. Uh, so, you know, this look, as the Republicans have mentioned, is not the first time that uh, the there's been scrutiny about the weaponization or the targeting of private citizens for no reason by a government agency. Now, here's the difference in the rub. They are now going to try to look at and see, if, oh, wait a minute. Are we now the subjects of these investigations? And if so, oh, then this is horribly wrong. For example, uh, Jim Johnson, uh, one of the people who's probably under scrutiny for 
January 6th, is going to chair a committee in which he may be as part of the uh, Justice Department's investigation, one of the people under scrutiny. Well, I've got some real issues here with what... Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 you know, I've got some issues if if the FBI, which has proven that that organization is capable of that kind of investigation. But the question is, can those who are uh, under scrutiny now, because they're in Congress, wield their power in order to try to either shield or get information about themselves? Uh, I heard one commentator mention that this kind of thing, really, uh, than what Jim Johnson should do or, or any other member of Congress is take the uh, uh, take the Justice Department to court and say, hey, these people are unfairly uh, scrutinizing me and they're doing it in an illegal way. So that's one of the areas where I kind of agree and then disagree with the functioning of some of the uh, uh, one of the pieces that the Republicans want to do. Uh, but I do go back and say, yes, we have had some committee uh, work in the past that's uncovered some of these unscrupulous kinds of things that agencies have done. So it's not that they're above this, uh, but the question is, how do you go about investigating it? Mm. Uh, exactly. And, and while we're coming near the end of the program here, I think what I'd like to do is I'd like to loft a question for people to think about. Earlier, we were talking about, obviously, uh, Santos and and how he came to his office and what might happen with him in the future when it's time to run again. And we also discussed, of course, this notion of ethics quizzes. And, you know, Frank, the question I'd put to everyone, uh, if not an ethics quiz or or even a review or even a discussion or a meeting or call it what, call it what you will, what kind of positive remedies might exist or positive influences might exist in the process of preparing to run for office or being in office or having a position of responsibility in, in local or state government? Uh, is there some other path we can take? And so that's a, a really big open question to which, you know, I, I'm not going to be glib and say I have an answer, but I think it's one that we ought to, you know, try to consider. The reason why I wanted the presidency as a unique office to go through the filter of some other high office is that we would know more about our presidents, regardless of their finances, regardless of their background, stature. We would know their politics. We would know their behaviors. We would know how they're connected both to money and society. And we would know whether or not these are people that we trust with the highest office in the land when we cast our vote. So that particular life filter I thought would be constructive. I see the presidency as, as a unique office in so many ways. And there are other things we can talk about what it constitutes uh, to be the leader of the free world. But returning back to the question of the, quote, ethics quiz, somewhere ethics has to play a role in government. Uh, and I'm curious as to what that might be. Well, believe it or not, I'm I'm of the, uh, of not total, but similar position to Frank. Right. In that... Uh, one, there aren't any laws on the books now that say that you have to be an ethical person in order to run for office. But I will say that this is a fairly unique time that that this is a fairly unique time because of the fifth estate 
mm-hmm. is disappearing. Interesting and if point. You, uh, and if you and, and if you recognize one of the things that has held our politicians in control and accountable in the past has actually been a robust investigative press. Mm. So even if I don't have the opportunity as uh, an opponent uh, of a particular candidate to do my due diligence, the press is always there. Mm. And that's one of the complaints, too, I think, around George Santos is that the press, because it's disappearing, didn't have the opportunity nor the personnel uh, to really sort of dig into his background. Yeah, they did Um, kind of whiff on that, didn't they? uh, Yeah. And. And, and I want to go back to shameful. Some, uh, yeah. uh, I want to go back to something that Natalia said, because the fundraising aspect of this, again, is the piece. And it's odd that that's the piece that's going to hold him accountable. Uh, mm. But the idea that uh, and I observed this in Natalia, for example, I'm going to give her a high compliment. Now, people got to know her from the conversations. She was you know, forthcoming in terms of her own background and her goals and desires if they were to vote for her or if they contributed to their campaign. And when you have a person of high character, of high morals, who is willing to engage with the electorate, the assumption is, you know, again, the high morals and 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 high integrity is the part that the electorate doesn't know, but they Mm. get to know that from you as you're campaigning. If you violate that, what I would call trust between the voter and the candidate, there ought to be things to hold that person accountable. Because if, if in this case, Santos was elected because he lied, what kind of image does that set up for people who, like Natalia, are citizens who are passionate about an issue and want to go and put themselves out there for election and get scrutinized and make statements about what they want to do. What does that say about the the ability of other politicians then to defraud in order to get elected? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think jumping in there, it's not just, you know, it's the lies, but when you broaden the conversation, Pete, to say an ethical sort of, you know, should our politicians be ethical? I think many women were completely, I don't know, heartbroken when revelations of, you know, sexual harassment or President Trump, when the media did share, you know, the recordings of things, you know, he had done and it was like recorded and I won't use the language. It was so horrible for so many women. And then we elected him. And so it's kind of like, okay, do we really... So I want to say that it's not just Santos and issues, some issues, you know, you lie about your education. But if you are, you know, have a history of being racist or having sexually abused or harassed, you know, like certain groups will feel that this is is hate towards their group. And then seeing those people being elected is really, really difficult. And so while I would like to believe that an ethical kind of guide should be there, I also know that that hasn't been the case. And it's been disappointing. It's been disappointing um, to see that and to see that, you know, you think that this media revelation will bring down this person and then it doesn't. And you're like, oh, OK, I guess it doesn't matter. So and on the other hand, there's the other part where it's like, are we too harsh? Like, is it OK to have a consensual affair uh, out of wedlock? You know, like should, you know, like French presidents and Greek presidents even, you know, are 
the prime minister of Greece had an affair with a young like stewardess and he didn't lose power. Like, where is it taboo and where is it really unethical? And I think when you're crossing into the harassment space, the hate speech, the discrimination, then we should hold people accountable. But if it's around like, you know, you had a consensual affair, maybe we shouldn't be so judgmental, but I don't know, maybe I'm I'm being too generous. Uh, well, but I'd, li- I'd like to see I'd like to see that conversation happening. The one who really comes to mind with that is Bertolucci in Italy. I mean, mm. we're talking affairs upon affairs upon affairs. And, uh, and I think that kind of, to me, pointed out something in particular and in regard to what, you know, the recorded speech from Trump about women and accessibility. It's an ugliness that is undeniable and it's physically revolting. It is. It's physically revolting. And if you're not physically revolted by it, then, you know, you're not going to worry about it. If it's something you've been raised with, which unfortunately, a lot of young men in my generation were raised with that. That was what you did. And it was it was accepted. It might have been shoved a little bit under the covers, but it was still accepted. So, yeah, it's it's something there. There has to be there has to be a level that you have to reach. I would like to uh, remember and bring to your attention that Father Bob, who produced uh, many a devotional program, which was outstanding for a long number of years on both the uh, TV. It, it was a program where he not only read scripture, where he did a homily, but really where he tried to put forward the Christian faith. Father Bob passed away and had a memorial service at the chapel of the Forest Hill Cemetery, and his ashes have been uh, buried in that cemetery. So I just want to uh, thank someone that devoted years to this cable station in a meaningful way. Father Bob Janine was wonderful. He came in once a month, and he produced four or five programs which were issued each week according to the liturgy. And uh, and he was terrific to work with. Um, and yes, uh, we miss him. Yeah, I only met him a couple of times some, several years ago, and he was a man who you could sense that he had a real joy in what he was doing. And I think that Absolutely. goes back to what I'm saying. He enjoyed what he was doing, and he enjoyed the opportunity to to bring this to anyone who cared to watch uh, the the this, his st- the station and anyone who cared to tune into his show, he was very joyful. Well, another more perfect union hour has flown by, and we will have to say goodbye until next week. Now, if you would like to weigh in on our discussions, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at info at franklin.tv. That's I-N-F-O at franklin.tv. Now, if you enjoyed our discussion, let us know. Or if you disagree, very highly likely that you might. That's all the more reason to let us know. Now, you can also share or listen to this program or any of our other past episodes anytime. Our podcasts are available online at our website, wfpr.fm. So for our guests, Dr. Natalie Alinos, Dr. Michael Walker-Jones, and a very welcome pop in by our former by our founder, Frank Falvey. I am Nick Remesong, along with my co-host, Chris Wolf and Peter Jay, our station manager. Thanks for listening and joining our shared journey toward a more perfect union.
This is Franklin Public Radio.